Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I am not Rob Zachney. I am TJ Hafer, and I guess I'm steering this ship by virtue of the fact that I strolled on up to the helm, and at no point did anyone stop me or ask for my credentials. Uh, with me tonight <laughs> are Three Moves Ahead regular Rowan Kaiser. Hello. And one of the only people I know who plays more European Universalis <laughs> for than me, Sean Sands. Hello. You broke uh, you bro- broke the big 2K this year, so congratulations. Yeah. 2000. 2, I'm almost almost up to 2100, so, you know, trucking along. I'm I'm I think I'm uh, I should check and see what I'm actually at on Steam. I'm at like 11, I think, something like that. Solid. Yeah, yeah almost 1100 hours. So, as you might have guessed, we are talking about Europa Universalis 4, specifically the changes that came to Europa Universalis 4 in 2017. We had two uh, large expansions and one smaller expansion. The Mandate of Heaven, which fleshed out a lot of stuff in East Asia. Third Rome, which was kind of focused on the Russian, Eastern European part of the world. And then Cradle of Civilization, which spruced up west asia and uh middle east type area um i guess start with sean do you feel like there was any kind of theme to the direction eu4 went in 2017 well the thing that was interesting to me is i I, i've kind of gotten to a place where i like a lot of the new features and what they introduce like the individual game mechanics but i don't feel like like they did it's such a big pile of stuff at this point that putting, mm-hmm. you know, one cool new rock among a whole bunch of other cool <laughs> rocks doesn't feel like as big of a change as it did. And and we were talking about this a little bit before, like the, the, on the good side, a lot of the features that they introduced stuff like the devastation, you know, some new trade goods were in there, um, you know, some new government types and kind of that re particularly the rework of the middle East um, was all stuff that in general, like looking back, I liked, but almost like, like, yeah, obviously, like that's always, but there's nothing that sort of stood out for me as something that, that, that dramatically changed the way I played the game, which made 2017 for Europa Universalis good in the sense that great. It's, you know, refining, it's keeping on going, it's doing its thing, but also I'm beginning to kind of feel that, that wear of, um, you know, just sort of adding for, I, I don't want it to get to the point of adding for the sake of adding. And this was the first year where it felt a little bit like that. Like some of this stuff, like uh, I thought eras and ages were going to be a bigger deal. Like they're cool and they add some nice stuff, but they don't, they don't feel like they're changing much. Uh, absolutism, you know, that's kind of cool, but it doesn't feel like it's, it's really changing the way I approach the game um, in the way that it felt like some of the older expansions from a year, you know, two or three years ago did. Well, I guess we're done here. <laughs> <laughs> Three moves ahead is produced by uh, Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumb. No, uh, yeah, I mean, I, that, I've seen that sentiment a lot in terms of it feels like maybe feature creep is getting a little bit out of control. Rowan, did you feel that way with uh, with the stuff they've added recently? Um, not actually this time. Uh, you know, we've talked about this before, but the uh, not the districts, not civilization. The uh, <laughs> estates mm-hmm. are, I think, the the pinnacle of adding a thing just to add it. And mm-hmm. I really hope that they figure out how to do those in a better way in a future expansion or patch or something. Uh, but this year, everything that got added felt like it was not a major thing that was forcing me to do bad things. Um, there were some aspects that I really like. Uh the mandate of heaven wasn't just about China. It also added the the ages and these sort of mini achievements in each era that you can and probably should try to push for. Which at least in the first couple of games that I was trying to play, those helped me kind of get out of my you know just kind of ride the wave bubble. Uh, you know, like when I when I get enough uh, monarch points to build some development, my development plan is usually develop the thing that's cheapest to develop the most in. But since there's an achievement in the early game, it, I call them achievements. I don't remember what the actual term is, but they actually have gameplay ramifications. If you get a couple of them, you can get a golden age, which is a thing that you want. Uh, but there is one of those for getting 30 development in 
one city before the first age ends. So I found myself trying to aim for that. And that was, you know, a different way to play that was kind of interesting. And maybe if I, you know, played six games with these things, then they would lose their luster a little bit. But for the two or three that I played, I was enjoying uh, it pushing me to play in a slightly different direction. And with the, the changes to the map and stuff, playing different areas. I was playing in the, the Timurid region mostly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I feel like those objectives are kind of hit or miss. Like some of them, I feel like, okay, this is encouraging me to play in kind of a new and interesting way that I might not otherwise. And then there are some of them that are just like the reward is not worth all the hoops I have to jump through. Like the one where you have to get like five vassals, which unless you're going specifically down diplomacy ideas, that's going to put you like over your diplomatic limit or, or the one where you have to like, Oh, get I'm always certain, over that limit. Get a certain number of personal unions. I I often find I am now too, but like not egregiously. Like some of them are like, okay, so I'm doing this. Why exactly? Um, I also felt like they they're not uh, as evenly like open to all all nations in all parts of the world. Like especially like the Age of Reformation. Definitely. The Age of Reformation has like super Eurocentric objectives, it felt like to me, which is kind of going against the narrative that I feel like EU4 has been has been following since we last talked about it, which was Rights of Man, which added institutions, arguably the biggest bullet to the brain of Eurocentrism that EU4 has ever introduced. Um, and I, that's that's kind of what I feel like the theme has been for 20, 2017 is like with Cradle of Civilization and Mandate of Heaven specifically, it seems like they're trying to create these set regional narratives that take place outside of Europe. You, like, Rowan, you mentioned playing a lot in the Timurid region. That whole area now is kind of like, you you know when you start it up, what the situation is and who the regional power players are and like what what kind of the different ways things can go are and you know that they've done sort of the same thing with japan and china um i don't know if you guys felt that that same way but that's what it seems like is they're trying to create regional narratives in 1444 for each of these regions that are like as interesting as playing in the hre or whatever i i felt like cradle of civilization in particular was really successful there primarily because um you know that 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 Anatolia region, the Middle East, the 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 Timurids region, the you know the Caucasus and Georgia, like that. Mm-hmm. Historically, up through Cradle of Civilization, that was just the place the Ottomans would be in a little while, yeah. right? Yep. Like it was just <laughs> there was nothing else there, um, and playing there was you know an interesting challenge. You could either one you know, try and make friends with the Ottomans and then go eat somewhere else so they don't get mad at you. Or you could probably, you know, uh, you know, struggle along and, um, you know, which was fun. It was its own challenge. I think the Cradle of Civilization, you know, aside from obviously just sort of nerfing the Ottomans and, you know, making the Mamluks much stronger, um, but they made the, the the region so much more interesting. The whole, you know, the 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 way the Timurids area is set up and and kind of taking that on, um, you know, that, that instability. And if you can kind of push through that, you can kind of really create a really interesting, strong power base. And, you know, the, uh, you know, the Arabia region, they added a ton of, uh, you know, that, that's a lot more fun to just, you know, start as an Oman or, you know, start as, uh, you know, one of, one of the smaller nations there that they've added in because there's a lot more interplay. So, yeah, I totally agree with that. If anything, I would say mandate of heaven kind of went like, yeah, it had a really strong Japan element, and it definitely had a, a strong uh, China element. But in, in a way, you know, or Ming became sort of so strong that you almost are de-emphasized or, you know, you're almost discouraged from going in and trying to play in that area. Um, I felt like, because the one or two times I tried, it just felt like Ming was such a you know, a, a monster in, in, in the region. And it, it, it felt, it almost felt like trying to start up as, you know, Georgia or, you know, Akkoinlu or, or one of those uh, regions in previous patches, because now like Ming is the Ottoman of the East now and Ottomans are not the Ottomans anymore, which, you know, I like one. I'm, I'm a little questioned on the other. I mean, 
historically the Ming collapsed 200 years in. So right. uh, if if that's not modeled anymore, that's kind of a problem. And that's that's also an issue I have. Like I I like to play as China and in the China region and in the EU4. That's always been difficult because you're either Ming or you're not Ming. And if you're Ming, then you're not like dealing with you're you're like conceptually dealing with the instability, but you're not like given the chance to be a post-Ming warlord trying to make your own way, um, unless you're doing that from the outside. Like, the, there's not a, you know, you can't play the Duke in Crusader Kings. Like you can't, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So that that's always been a bit off-putting, because, like, if, you, if you're doing reasonably well with Ming, then you're not getting that uh, chaotic China experience that historically happened. And if you're not doing well with Ming, you're probably just annoyed and frustrated at quitting. Yeah, it's I I feel like the 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 more I've played around in that area, the mandate mechanics are just kind of wonky at this mm-hmm. point, especially if you're playing as someone besides Ming and trying to take the mandate. Like I had a I had a large uh or a long game where I I played as I Haya and I tried to establish like a Thai dynasty on the celestial throne. And it's like forming allies and, you know, removing Ming's tributaries and like taking down their mandate to the point that I could beat their numerically superior armies. Because when they have low mandate, they take like plus 50 percent damage or something like that. Um, That part was fun. But then when you become emperor, it becomes pretty clear that. Unless you're going a his, like the the path of like starting as the Manchu or as one of the Mongol successor states, they didn't really plan ahead that well for like seizing the mandate as like the Khmer or you know someone out in you know the Indian region or whatever, because your own mandate will pretty much tank immediately unless you've set up ahead of time for everyone on your borders to already be your tributary. Like the, it makes sense for an established power in China maintaining the mandate, and it really kind of falls apart when an outside power tries to take the mandate. Again, unless you're up north and you don't have to worry about, you know, neighbors so much because you don't really have many except maybe the, you know, Buryat tribes or something like that. Um, which is a bummer. Like I, I would like to play something like what Rowan was describing, where maybe the, if they made China more like the the HRE, and I could start off playing as like the Wu, and my goal is to put the Wu on the Celestial Throne and replace the Ming. Um, but I don't know if they would want to necessarily just create a second HRE. I'm not sure what you guys think of that. That sort of setup. That's reasonable. I don't know that they would want to do it after they've just done an expansion that supposedly yeah. you yeah. know, <laughs> fixes the area. Um, one thing that I might try to do at some point soon is do a, a random game with uh, and you know try to pick or create, I guess, a Chinese or in China country and see if I can you know maneuver it that way because that seems like it. They they've try- attempted to make that region more interesting, but they're just kind of stuck with the the EU four nation yeah. empire yeah. or whatever and they, they have to constantly work around that so if you just get rid of that and stick your own thing there then i think that that might turn interesting but i've not done a random map in a while so yeah no i haven't i've i haven't played a lot of i, I you know i tried some of the mandate of heaven stuff and i i, I played a ming game and frankly i just kind of yeah i got maybe a hundred years in and well you know, we had one of those moments where it's, well, I should just manage this massive empire forever, or I could go play something like more interesting. Because it was just, it was almost, it, it was, it was kind of, in, you know, they're they're like the new Ottomans. It was like play as Ming, and you're just going to be, you know, the schoolyard bully uh, as much or as little as you want to be. Um, but you know, because the other side of that, and that's why I was kind of praising cradle of civilization earlier i think it does it does a better job of kind of managing all those different things that i'm not sure mandate of heaven did as well right you know that instability i like the timurids mechanic uh around that instability it makes sense that's historically accurate but it also is something that you can kind of manage and it's fun to kind of work through that you know uh you know kind of having that situation where you have a a regional powerhouse um i liked a lot of you know the 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 
the, the religion aspects and the government aspects and, you know, kind of how you can influence other nations um, in, in cradle of civilization. And, and I kind of wish, like, I know they never will, but I kind of wish they're going to go back and, and, and reevaluate, you know, that that Eastern gameplay. Um because I think they eventually figured it out. A lot of the things like it just, it just works better there for me. Did either of you guys play much with uh, Japan? I didn't really, I didn't uh, have a chance yet to test out in any significant way, like the new isolation system and the new kind of dynamic Shogun system where whoever holds Kyoto is the Shogun. I did not. Like <laughs> I, it, it was, it was interesting, uh, you know, and and I, I love the work they put in, but it just isn't. It doesn't tend to be my kind of play style. That feels very, um, you know, I I always play EU four as a global game, and that feels uh-huh. very much more like a regional game. Um, uh, yeah. So I I'm afraid I didn't do the the uh, the new, you know, daimyos and. You know, the the whole sort of Japanese rework just I, I haven't made that made that run yet it's I'll put it it's on my list just yeah that's, boiled to that's the top. Good. it's on my list too I just haven't gotten around to it yet it it, just, it does seem very much like I was joking Sengoku is now the second best Japan uh grand strategy game that Paradox has made like they put <laughs> so much detail into that region at this point um but yeah, Rowan, I'm assuming you didn't check them out as much either. Yeah, uh, long-time listeners of the show will know that I don't like islands. Gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> um, the one of the the other interesting like kind of bullet point feature from Mandate of Heaven was that they added uh, Manchu banners, which on the on their own mm-hmm. are super super game changing. But it was the first time that they've added a specific mechanic for a specific culture group where they can do something that other culture groups can't, which exists in Crusader Kings. It didn't previously exist in EU4, and I think they've expanded on that to some degree. I don't know if Janissaries are unlocked by being Turkish or if they're unlocked by having the Ottoman government, but they're doing this thing now where where they have special regiment types uh, Third Rome also added Streltsy. Yeah, Streltsy for I was the Russians. Too. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, what do you guys think of that? That kind of approach to, for one, adding specific mechanics to specific culture groups, and secondly, the kind of special regiments that they've been adding to the game. Well, I like it. I mean, I I I, I, I like the idea in general. I mean, I think that. You know, one of the things that does from just sort of a thematic point of view is it makes it more. A lot of times I feel like it doesn't matter who I'm playing. I'm just playing my game of EU4 and it doesn't really like whether I'm, you know, Ming or whether I'm, you know, Austria or whether I'm, you know, Tunis or whatever. It starts to just feel like the same game in a lot of ways. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I'm always looking for is that sense of being in a place in a situation. Like, what are the things that make my culture unique or my civilization unique or what what can i take advantage of that doesn't feel like it's just you know the last strategy copied over this and i think you know you know streltsy and janissaries in particular i haven't played with the banners very much like i said i'm tended to be more sort of my games have been tended to be more in the middle east and north africa um the past few uh, runs mm-hmm. i've had um but certainly like I, I i like that approach you know the problem always is you know, they, you can only do it for so many things. Like you don't, you're, you're, you know, you're going to half the time you start a game, you're not going to have that accessed unless you're specifically, you know, going after something from third Rome, you know, trying to play one of the, uh, you know, one of the, like, like the, the Russian area miners to break away and take over Muscovy or something like that. Um, or if you're, you know, in the, in, in the Ottoman region. Um, but I, I love it. Like keep, keep them coming. Um, they're just I, I haven't had a lot of exposure to them because only a very few nations have that at this point. One of the things that uh, EU4 kind of started as is as uh, unlike previous games in the series, it was attempting to be a mechanical simulation of what might happen without relying on events and very specific cultural things to get you where you were going. Um, so 
you know, the, the way the monarch points work and kind of ebb and flow when you have a good monarch versus a bad monarch versus just getting you an event at 1555 saying that, you know, now you have a revolt for the next 20 years. Mm. Uh, so that was kind of a design philosophy that went into the early EU for that. Um, they have, for the first couple of years, I think, tried to work with, uh, especially with institutions, which uh, took one of the last remaining kind of uh, embedded cultural differences and now made it a mechanic that can be manipulated and can be randomly bounced around and uh, different things can happen with it other than just you're not Western, you're screwed for a while. Um, in the last year or so, I think they have realized that well, I was having a talk with a Paradox developer uh, last year at one point, and they said that like 99% of games, EU4 games, were started from the normal 1444 start. Mm -hmm. uh, which obviously makes sense. I mean, almost everything that you have played and I have played there, except for my Crusader Kings imports and the occasional random games, uh, is that. But I think now they're designing specifically around that. Uh, so, like, you have that big Cradle of Civilization expansion that very specifically says that the Middle East is being redesigned to be more interesting and have even specific events because they know that the people are playing from 1444 and they want to kind of, you know, get that get that historical uh, simulation running. Um, so and that that's kind of turning them in the other the opposite way from their original design philosophy of having everything be a little generic so that it will work. Um, now that they have gotten the generic so it'll work down pretty well, they're you know touching up on the edges, but it it feels a little bit weird to have you know a couple places that have these very specific things, and then the rest of it is still built around this. Uh, um, generalist model of the how you know the reformation era is supposed to look yeah, and yeah i and that, wouldn't be oh go ahead no i was saying that that was one of the things i was hoping ages would really add as well because i mean i do i i, I totally see where you're coming from i like that they're taking kind of the longer view too it feels like you know that that understanding that people tend to start here and have something that stretches out. I think ages was trying to do that as well, or the eras, I think it's ages, but um, it, 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 it didn't feel like it, it felt like it was an attempt to try and create a structure to make you take a unique angle, like, you know, to, to make you go down those specific roads, particularly, you know, you know, obviously, like the Age of Reformation, if you're in Europe, there's a lot of options there that kind of begin to define you. If you're not in Europe, it's kind of a dead age. But if you are, it, it's a very, very active one. Um, so, I mean, I think I think they're learning how to do that really well. Another thing that I, I like that they've introduced um, that, you know, kind of kind of takes the long view with some of that army professionalism stuff um, that, that really. Oh, yeah, yeah where, you, where, you, where you really because it. You know, I was afraid when I first read it, like it was going to be super fast, but you've really got to kind of put some time and some effort into building up your professionalism and drilling your army units and kind of, you know, balancing where they are and how you're, you know, how you're you know, faring against, you know, your neighbors and all that. But, you know, giving those sort of periodic bonuses as your overall military army professionalism kind of boosts up is it, one, it feels absolutely required. Like you sort of have to do it. You can't be uh -huh. sitting back, you know, at the end of the game and, you know, just randomly taking a lot more morale damage just because you weren't training the whole time. Um, but it gives me something to do and think about and keep going with to kind of keep my army interesting, which is habitually, you know, been one of the things that's just, it's it almost like a resource, you know, between wars, just how many army do I have? Fine. That's enough. I'm going to worry about them when I'm actually fighting. Now there's something to do with them, which I yeah, my big gripe with army professionalism, I do really like that they're trying to model the historical shift towards professional armies, which very much was a defining trait of the time period the EU4 covers. My biggest gripe with it is it creates like this inverse veterancy thing where your armies are always going to fight the best at the very beginning of a war. And yeah, then they, they lose drill proportional to casualties very quickly. Um, so you don't get the sense that 
units that have been in the fight longer are getting better at fighting and more hardened, which is what, you know, realistically happened. You know, you wanted your veteran troops to be in the, the most, you know, uh, contentious hotspots in, in a lot of the wars that happened during this time period. Whereas, like, I feel like in now with the way that drill works, I want my troops that have not participated in any battles. Like I'm keeping them in reserve. If there's a big fight coming up because they're still going to have full drill and they're still going to go in at, at full fighting power. I don't know the, the sort of massive casualties that could happen that would just like wipe out an army. If it has to march through the snow and stuff, veterancy doesn't matter for that. It's, I, I'm not sure it's like totally unrealistic. There's, there's something a little bit unsatisfying about it. And I think there might be a way that, uh, it could be handled a little bit, a little bit better on those terms, but I'm not sure that casualties forcing making troops more green in general is all that unrealistic. I don't think it's unrealistic. I think the balance could be better or there, you know, there could be some way to model veterancy of your surviving troops kind of making up for the loss of drill in some way, because it really is like once a, once an army has been through one battle and fully replenished, they're like, 25 percent worse at fighting than they were at the beginning of the war which seems a little skewed to me uh don't you still get uh the military tradition though tradition still yeah. makes up for it yeah yeah so at least so that, might, that might be how it, it's kind of balancing tradition is more like I, you can recruit good generals though than you know actually speaking to the quality of your troops it does give you some boost, though, yeah. doesn't it? I think yeah. it's primarily morale and a couple of other things. Yeah, I, I, I tend to agree. I So I like the modeling. I like the idea behind it. I tend to agree that, you know, if it it's a little punishing in its balance. You know, like, like it just, just could be, it, it just, I think, I think it's a tweak, not a change. Um, but in general, I've, I've felt like, you know, I, I felt like there's some there's there's sort of a storytelling narrative part of me that likes this idea that the longer a war goes on and the more I fight the you know the more difficult it is for me to put forth an army that is as immediately devastating as it was when everybody's mm-hmm. kind of coming into it fresh like I, I I it can be a little unsatisfying at times but I also feel like it tells the right story and kind of makes me think about um you know, it makes me think twice about having a really long war of attrition of some kind because that's gonna uh, that's gonna wear down in in ways it didn't before. Which I think I think that's kind of cool. Yeah. Well, and the other big tool that they've used to kind of illustrate that that I do really like is the devastation and prosperity system, yes. where you know if if you're if there's a lot of fighting going on over a region, those provinces are going to be less productive. They're going to be more prone to rebellion. Uh, whereas if you can keep the fighting on enemy soil and keep your provinces untouched as much as, po- as possible. They're eventually going to get bonuses, um, which that's one of those features that like they rolled it out. And I'm like, this should be in every paradox game. This should be in every strategy <laughs> game. Like I really like the idea that warfare and um, even things like famine can leave long-term impacts on the, you know, geography and economy of the map. I tend to really like any feature that that tries to model that in in whatever way. I don't know if you guys had as positive an, a reaction to it as I did. I didn't really no. actually notice it. Um, I know it's supposed to be there, and I believe that it is, but I just I it, it didn't click where I could see exactly what was supposed to be happening with it and where in the way that like Crusader Kings two version of that did right. Um, so that that was uh i don't know about disappointing like I, i'm sure it still affected the way that i behaved in some ways but it was not as overt as i might have wanted yeah I, I i like it i i wish i felt it more in if i'm inflicting that sense of devastation in an enemy even if i'm not you know having these kind of constant fights and battles i don't feel it in like a like there's an argument to be made that sometimes you fight the war not to take over everything, but just to sort of weaken your your neighbor and put them, you know, behind 
um, economically or, you know, militarily or whatever. And I wish I felt that wow, their devastation a little more. I know. <laughs> I'm, an, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, a, I'm a monster. I'm sorry. I can't, Any, I can't help it. <laughs> anyone who plays 2000 hours of EU4 is probably turned into a monster at this point. Just, let's be honest. Just but, a little evil, you guys. Yeah. Just a little. I fight my wars for only the purest of reasons, like taking <laughs> over territory that will make my map a little bit nicer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I, it would be nice if there was kind of an on-map representation of it, like like CK2 does. I also wish it was a little better integrated into the event system. Like, if you get the influenza event, like, have it apply devastation instead of just this random influenza province modifier. I think they could definitely do some tightening up in that area because it was a patch feature it's not like you have to have a dlc to use it um yeah i mean i i think things they can introduce to kind of feel like there's a waxing and waning of power and strength in specific provinces is always really really interesting to me um and, and even the i forget what it's called but where you can kind of go in and and set you know specific sort of state-based um, you know, bonuses, I, I forget what it's called, but like you can set your, your state to be, oh, yeah, you know, provincial edicts or whatever. Yeah. 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 Where I, I like that where, where it's not just about how the country overall is doing, but places where I can kind of say, oh, you know what? I really want to boost this area. And it's great. Like development was the first step in that, you know, being able to kind of set, you know, your, your, you know, religion's going to spread faster here. Institution's going to spread faster here. We're going to get more trade power, whatever like that. And devastation to me fits into that idea of, you know, having these kind of both a, a big model and kind of a, a small model of, you know, the, the, the give and take of that power and strength and wealth and all those, all those kind of ideas. One of the other big things that, that has been kind of being rolled out and very similar to how I think the regional narratives are going to continue to expand, I think this is something that they're going to continue to expand on, is the idea of government buttons, the idea that every mm -hmm. government, yeah. I mean, this really started with Third Rome and continued into Cradle of Civilization, that every government should have some kind of interactive like buttons you can click um, to give you some kind of bonus, uh, the Russian governments have, you know, the, uh, the Russia buttons where you build up based on your monarch stats until you can click a button that gives you a bonus. The Iqtas in the Muslim world now have every 20 years you choose a tax policy. Uh, mm -hmm. do you guys like that? Do you feel like it's just more feature creep, more like kind of meaningless buttons to worry about? I've heard both sides. I mean, for me, I, I, I end up liking it just because it's not incredibly distracting and it gives me an opportunity to choose to shift gears. Like the, the times it works is when it offers you interesting choices. And I think some do that better than others. But if I can, you know, I think the eek does, I, I, I like the, uh, the, the, um, you know, that just kind of opportunity to kind of step in every 20 years or so and say okay over the next 20 years am i more likely to care about army morale am i more li likely to care about you know idea costs or you know something like this to kind of shape what's going to be an easier path um like i like it it's super simple it's it's not a whole bunch of stuff it's not something like that was always the problem with the states it felt like something i had to babysit hour after hour after hour and this sort of shows up every now and again and says you know what do you think you're going to be doing for the next 20 years uh the islamic schools are the same sort of you know yeah. idea um which i really like because it also gives me a reason to make some interesting decisions about diplomacy or you know how i'm going to uh you know who i who who i'm going to take over and who i'm going to buddy buddy with um and so, you know, I, I think the balance of it not being a constant in your face sort of thing that you're always having to think about, but something that is more sort of based around this idea of a bigger strategy that you're planning out usually works out for me. So I, I tend to like those things. I feel like they're just too hidden. It's very, it's a little too easy to forget that you can actually change your government at times um, when they're the results of like events uh, or, or deliberate plans that you make, like the government that you get when you form Persia, which is what I did, and 
my mm-hmm. most successful game um you know that gives you the specific government and now you can you know work around that but when it's uh when it's just kind of a oh right i could probably change to you know a slightly more colonial government or whatever uh, i don't think it's it's doing a good job of pointing you in that direction um i'm not sure it necessarily should it's entirely entirely valid to play the entire game just with whatever you're set with and have a decent time that doesn't seem to be too major of a thing uh but sometimes it is i don't know i i think definitely more could be done at pointing you in the right place if that is a thing that you think might be the right place to go what is is the the special persia government is that the feudal theocracy because i actually did haven't messed around with that much um i think it's like a persia specific title oh, okay. like the uh um, Shahdom or something, or Shah mm-hmm. or something like that. Is it like does it have its own buttons or what's the what's the tag with that? Um, I think it just has its own perks. I don't remember specific buttons oh, okay. for it. Yeah, I need I need to try that. That's, yeah, I haven't uh, tried that one. Yeah. Um. Well, yeah. And Sean, you mentioned the Muslim schools, which is another thing that I really like. That's, that's sort of doing the same thing for religions that we've discussed them doing for like regional narratives previously. It seems like they're kind of trying to take some of the other major world religions and put them more on the level of, you know, the the Western Christian world, which has always been. I've always said that if you want to go for maximum flavor in EU4, you want to start as a Catholic nation because their religion right. has the protestant reformation like nothing else really compares to that you know uh having your religion split into three and potentially having a gigantic war over that um i really like that they've they've taken islam and added this thing where like different schools you can invite different scholars and you know different schools will actually fall in and out of favor with each other based on what your countries do like i remember my right. when i when i played as uh, hormuz which was my longest cradle of civilization game so far uh i was my, the school i followed was on good terms with the one that was kind of dominant in persia but i fought the persians so much that i actually caused those two schools to become rivals which kind of <laughs> set off a shockwave of other diplomatic stuff that happened so um Personally, I really like that. I'd love to see every religion get some some level of that treatment um, in terms of just natural yeah. ways to create conflicts and alliances within the faith group. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the sort of prototypical example from, from vanilla EU4 was, was you know, tr- trying to gain control of the, the, the papacy and really having access to um you know gaining that uh papal favor and being able to spend it on stuff which was i mean like like as you say it just sort of is the 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 standard uh approach nothing has kind of quite gotten to that level because once you add all the you know the the protestant reformation and being able to kind of you know you switch protestantism and it has its own little mechanic that gives you these buffs too and like it it was really fleshed out um, I think this gets them a long way down that path, specifically for the Muslim nations. I do think there's this interesting conflict between, like, like everything about the the sort of Catholic mechanics and the Christian mechanics feels integrated um, and kind of binds together in really interesting ways. Even you know to the point where you're making decisions that accelerate the Protestant Reformation or slow it down. Though I've never really felt. Like you can slow it down very much. No. Um, where it does, like, there's, there's, what, what's that mechanic where uh, uh, the piety versus whatever mechanic? So, oh, as, yeah. as a Muslim nation, yeah, um, I can't remember the other side. Yeah, of it, they, like, they changed it to le- like legalism and mysticism now, which actually yeah. fits the era a lot better. I, I liked that change because it's not like the mystics or the legalists were any less pious than the other group. They had just had different ideas of piety. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I, I like that mechanic. I always have. And I mean, I think it still holds up. Um, and then you have, 
you know, the, 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 the schools that we were just talking about. The point being, though, that it all feels like its own little segments of things and it doesn't feel really unified yet, which is the sort of the last step I'd like to see to make, you know, even to the point where, you know, having uh, the, the, the schools as well as, you know, that that mysticism uh, component versus all the little government stuff that they've added in there. They all it feels like a bunch of cool little things that are all vaguely separate and it doesn't feel as cohesive as it does in you know kind of the the europe versions of that um so i mean that's sort of the last part i'd be looking for is how to how to how to tie it all together and then i totally agree then take that to some of the other religions out there um really kind of expand on that because i i agree you can you know but i I see where Rowan's coming from by saying, you know, it's all kind of hidden, but I think that's sort of fundamental to the EU for experience. Like there's a lot of stuff that just feels hidden all the time and you can ignore it and have a completely valid game. But I kind of love that that's in there and you can, you know, once you've kind of become really accustomed to it, or if you're looking for that element of that side of the gameplay, you can kind of dive in and there is something interesting to interact with if you make it a priority. And so it's not the game saying you have to make it a priority, but it gives you a bonus and an opportunity if you want to make it a priority. And I, I, that's one of the things I've always just really liked about EU4 in particular. Yeah, it definitely, it, it enhances the, uh, the region a lot to kind of go into, I mean, if, if Islam during this period had a narrative similar to the Protestant and Catholic narrative that we see in the Western Christian world, I think it very much is about like these Sufis and these mystics and this kind of battle between, you know, almost in out in the steps, it was sometimes called folk Islam and sort of the established, you know, written version that had had been, you know, put in place by various dynasties. Um, and I think there definitely are opportunities in some of the other religions that haven't gotten as much TLC yet to bring those similar um, types of stories kind of to the forefront. I did feel like the schools got a little bit, like, scattered and confused at some point. Like, I, yeah. I had a hard time keeping track of what they all were and, like, who was following what. You know, you open up the religion menu and it's just a bunch of different colored moons. Uh, I'm not sure if they did the best job of communicating that. Um, but I think it's I think it's definitely a, a positive change. I'm actually my strong suspicion is that the next area to get the kind of cradle of civilization treatment is going to be India um, because they're. It's a very divided region at Game Start, but they don't have kind of an established regional narrative yet with like power yeah. players and like quote unquote good guys and bad guys. I think they could definitely do more with like the rise of Sikhism and sort of the the tension between Muslims and Hindu and and kind of make Hindu a more interesting religion to play. Um, so oh, it seems ripe for that sort of thing. Like it, it's yeah. just sitting there kind of waiting for something to come in there. I've, I've, I've played some games in India, you know, the, the India region and I've enjoyed them, but I, I've definitely have felt much more like it was, you know, just sort of going back to that idea of sort of the generic version, right? It is just uh -huh. sort of the, how are you going to become the powerhouse of this, uh, area? It didn't have those narrative components that, that like, I guess that's the idea. I mean, if your first question when we started was, what's the theme of the year? And if you look at Third Rome, and if you look at Cradle of Civilization, if you look at Mandated Heaven, I think they all are trying to create those regional narratives. And I'm all for that, you know, because I think that that, that makes the... It, it gives me reasons to play in an area, not just because, hey, that's an interesting achievement to go get, um, but because it has a story to tell. And I, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure, like, the Mandate of Heaven, I'm not sure they were great at getting that kind of regional sense in. I think Third Room was a little better, and I think Cradle of, Cradle of Civilization is really where they started to pull it all together. Now I want to see them take that model, and, like, your, India would be a perfect place to go do that. Yeah, I mean, the just the whole idea that, like, when you start a game in that kind of West Asian region now, like, you know, 
the Timurids are on thin ice. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got these kind of bigger, like the Ottomans are there, but the the two um, Koyunlus, the Kar Koyunlu and the Ak Koyunlu, if they mm-hmm. build their alliances right, they can totally take supremacy there. Um, you know, the Mamluks are more than yeah, just a road of expansion for the Ottomans. Like, <laughs> I feel like I in even going back to EU three when I was playing in Europe. I kind of knew what the script was when I started the game. Other parts of the world, not so much. And I feel like Cradle of Civilization has done much, so much to be like, I know this cast of characters, like they're nations on the map, but I know what's going on with each of them. I kind of have a sense of their personalities and what mm-hmm. they're going to tend to do in a way that like, I would, I would love to see that spread everywhere. Like, you know, even going back and revisiting maybe even Mesoamerica. Like, I want to know why, you know, how are how are the Zapotec and the Aztec and the, the Mishtec and stuff, how are they different? How do they relate to each other? But, um... Boy, they've taken a few swipes at that that kind of New World region and just never... It, it still hasn't coalesced. I Not quite. Like, really yeah. not quite. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Um... So some of the other little stuff that that may have gotten lost in the mix a little bit. We talked about Japan. They also did a whole update based on Hungary. Um, they made mm-hmm. some changes to Bohemia. I'm curious, what do you guys think about them going back to kind of these second or third tier nations and adding like a bunch of events and mechanics to specifically make playing this one formerly kind of overlooked country more interesting? I mean, theoretically, it's a good idea. I'm just not sure it's necessarily worth it. Um, Yeah. You know, doing it for Russia makes sense because Russia is going to be a popular country just in general and also amongst Russian players. Yeah. Uh, But, uh, you know, a Hungary, I don't know how much effort you want to put into a Hungary, and that's not because Hungary is not an interesting nation for this region or for this time period, Uh, but just because, you know, like people if 99% of the people are playing, you know, X uh X start date, they're also probably playing the most highly recommended countries for those start dates a bunch too, right? Uh, so yeah, it's it would be neat, but I don't know that I would expect it. Yeah, I kind of feel like the same way. Like I I'm, I have no problem with it, but you know, give give me a priority list of where that is, and it's probably <laughs> probably not super high. But you know, maybe maybe at some point they'll they'll. I, I guess I I guess I would want a reason. Like I uh, that sounds entitled, and I don't mean it that way. Um, but you know, they went through all this sort of stuff to to make Hungary more interesting, and I just it's not more interesting. I didn't want to go play it. So like if they can find the sweet spot where it's like now, Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. Okay. That sounds like a really cool narrative component or, you know, specific dynamic, or it's really historically, you know, a, a, uh, experiment I want to run. Um, then they'll, they'll catch me. And it's maybe it's just a personal preference thing. It, I didn't really try. I've not, I played hungry a long time ago and not, not going back right now. Yeah, I haven't I haven't gone back to to Hungary yet either. I poked around the event files a little bit just to to see what they did. Um I think I kind of come down the same place as you guys like it's it's cool that they're doing it. I'm not sure that mm. I would say that it's to near the top of my wish list necessarily. Um So, speaking of minor countries, one of the other things they've done, they've added a lot of new tags this year, including uh, they're finally populating the Philippines, which have been, you know, just open, colonizable land since the dawn of of Europa Universalis with some tags. Do -hmm. you guys feel like there eventually there should just be tags everywhere to represent minor tribes or, you know, should... You know, should there be a division? Where where should the line be drawn on that? Um. Well, I think the Philippines in the that area is interesting because honestly, some of 
my most fun games that I played ended up being in that area. I played a Malacca game uh-huh. that I absolutely loved. Ayataya is, you know, another one that I really, I think I played that maybe a year and a half ago before all the Mandate of Heaven stuff. Ayataya is great. Yeah. It's really fun. It's like, it's yeah. super good. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, that, that seems like a region ripe for, you know, of those sorts of, you know, just kind of expanding, but I think the risk, of course, is that it begins to kind of have less and less meaning. Like, if you know, all of the New World was, you know, populated with thousands and thousands of of tags that are, you know, not thousands, but you get my point. Um, but they just don't resonate or feel like they ju- they just feel like they've been colored in because it's, you know, time to color in between the lines. I'm not sure if it adds much. Um, so, you know, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't have a strong feeling one way or another, um, but it does feel like the more that they just populate with stuff that doesn't, you know, doesn't have some sort of resonation, you know, resonant with me, then it's just, you know, it's a color instead of gray and kind of that's all it is. Um, I don't I don't know that I care one way or the other at that point, right? Whether it's just... Uh, but it would make it would make the col- colonizing game a little less interesting, actually. Um, I'm not sure how much fun it would be to go back and play like a Portugal or Spain uh, is as they're increasingly already sort of pre-populated areas. One of the things I always enjoyed with those was, you know, really sort of spreading into, um, you know, these sort of, at least from a Eurocentric point of view, empty spaces. Um, and I think it, it minimizes... I think they need to do something with the, you know, to, to improve colonization at some point, if, you know, they want that to still be a, a significant mechanic. I mean, obviously like if you're attempting to model the history of colonization, then the areas that were colonized should have a colonization mechanic, Mm -hmm. but uh, there has sort of been an issue with the game where the, I don't know, kind of soft colonization of, uh, regions where the Europeans, you know, got a foothold and then slowly took economic power and then eventually political power like India. That's really been difficult to model. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'm not sure that they have figured out how to do that. That would be a preferable way to handle colonization in a lot of areas if they could. But for now i don't really think they can so it's not historical to do that even if it is also not historical to just have the philippines as you know a, a, an icon that set, represents how ferocious they are um so that's it, that that's kind of a problem with just the core concept of not even this game but like strategy games in general is how do you have two distinct entities in the same space yeah um, yeah yeah and i mean it's like it it gets to a point of of that when they've populated so much of the world at this point you start to wonder you know or people could reasonably ask if this why not this you know if the comanche are in why aren't the arapaho if the navajo are in why aren't the zuni like all of these kind of like, you know, where, where, and where and why do you draw the line kind of questions? You know, why doesn't Polynesia have a tag if the Philippines have multiple tags now? Um, and just the idea that, that EU4 starts from the premise of like a colonist as a resource and like you need empty provinces to send your colonists or else colonists become meaningless. It's, it's an interesting question, I think, to, to ponder, um, but the last thing I kind of wanted to ask, and we've gone over this a little bit, you know, vis-a-vis India, but I'd like to know where you guys, if you could give the cradle of civilization treatment to any region or sub-region currently on the EU4 map that has not um, been fleshed out as much as it could be, where would that be? I think Eastern Europe. Ooh, um, interesting. Bohemia, Poland... Uh, Lithuania, Pomerania, uh, all of those could kind of use a little sprucing up. Um, I think that's a really interesting region to play in. Uh, some of my most fun games have been as Bohemia. Um, so yeah, that's that's an area that could could use a. It, it's probably not even like a full expansion level, but just mm-hmm. you know a patch that 
says we, we've taken a look at this and let's uh, make it a little bit more fun, a little bit more historically accurate, all those sorts of things. Give it a little more of a narrative. Uh, you know, I would love to see, and, and they kind of have already touched it, and it makes me think that they, they might not come back to it anytime soon, but from the narrative side of things, the Western Africa region, mm -hmm. you know, south, sort of the south of Morocco and the, you know, air and Timbuktu and yeah. uh, even down to Congo and, and that whole area. Like, there, there, there was a map update, which I really liked. Like, I played a, several games in that area at that time. Um, I, I would love to see it get that, that a little more love into the, 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 the events and the narratives. I don't think, you know, they, they added some religions, uh, but it didn't really, it didn't feel like it had kind of the weight that they've put on, um, you know, some of the recent changes. So I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd go back and play that area quite a bit if they, if they dove in and, uh, you know, really kind of fleshed out the stories and the, you know, the, the, the sense of an independent sort of area instead of just kind of this, you know, wide open with more provinces. And speaking of match map changes, have you guys seen any from the latest dev diary of how they're, they're redoing Ireland again They're uh, and then they're redoing like France, England, and the low countries. Yeah. I saw some of those, you know, it's hard to say until it actually comes out, but I'm glad they're exactly. giving it attention. Yeah. Do you do you feel like Europe like Europe is a good place to be, you know, continuing to do you feel like Europe you feel like Europe needs more kind of granularity? Do you feel like it's good where it's at, or they should, you know, continue to keep improving on it? I think England definitely does because it's on rails. You know, you're gonna get kicked yeah. out of or the AI is going to get kicked out of France. The AI is going to get Scotland, form Great Britain, and then, you know, do whatever they do from there. Uh, having that potentially be something that can be influenced more is definitely an improvement. Um, and I, I also don't think that Holland has quite, I don't know, worked right. And that's in part because everything is built around this 1444 start date that makes Holland very weird. Yeah, because of where it was historically, it's you know sort of like the reverse of the Ming. Uh, it's not there, but it needs to be there. Um, yeah, and that's that's kind of a a thing that they could try to work on to make that more a more interesting way to go about it. Because you know, at the end of the game, you well not necessarily with Holland, but uh, throughout EU four, like Holland should be a major player uh, yeah yeah mm -hmm. just like at the end of eu4 one of the victorious countries should potentially be prussia uh but that's really hard to model because there isn't really a prussia i mean they've done what they can to kind of make it so that brandenburg and uh pomerania have the chance to form that and whatever but uh you know it, it's like if one of the goals of a historical game is to make a plausible scenario where what was historical could actually happen uh some of these places are very difficult to do that. So anything to make Holland more likely to do that, I think is a good thing. Yeah. I think so much of this game is built initially around that region. Like there's, there's been a lot of expansion over the years, but um, I mean, in a way to Rowan's point earlier, like just from a practical sense, where are most players probably starting? Right. I mean, if, if you're on your 50th game, then yeah, you may be, you know, adventuring over in, uh, the Malacca region or the, you know, the, the, the Western Africa, but probably most players are in, you know, England and France and Austria and, you know, that entire region. So I think, I think kind of touching it up, I, I don't think there's any part of this game that you kind of have to lock down at some point and say, well, that's done. Um, and so I, I kind of, you know, and, and we brought it up in a well, couple of other ways. I, I'm, I'm, I'm encouraged by when they go back and say, well, let's try that area and refine it some more. Well, it depends on who the you in that statement are, because Paradox is somewhat locked down by having done region-specific expansions. Um, so it's like, okay, we already did this huge expansion to fix the Native Americans. Yeah. Now we're going to do another expansion to fix them, or now we're going to do a patch that only the people who have this expansion will really be able to use. Right. Like that, that becomes a bit of a... a a weird business decision and i don't think it's a one that they've really done 
uh, a whole lot with like double dipping. Um, Nobody's going to buy the second Russia expansion. Like you already <laughs> did that. There's <laughs> something yeah, well, like that. I get. I well, the, Ru- the Russia one was. I don't want to say primarily aesthetic, but it was a lot more it flavor. Was. It was a lot of that. And, and, yeah, I mean, flavor. It, it, I think it, is the word I want to use. Yeah, I like. That. Uh, but, but you know, we've been complaining about China. But if they released another China expansion in June and asked people to pay another fifteen dollars to have Ming be, you know, the Holy Roman Empire, as TJ suggested, like that would be awesome for press who gets it for free or rich people <laughs> who don't care. But. Uh, it would probably not be good for the fans who would perhaps complain about having to double dip on that. Um, and, you know, Paradox has had a fan brigade about pricing in the recent past. Um, I'm pretty sure they would be wary about doing that, and they should be wary about doing that, but it also means that they have sort of locked these regions in in a way that uh, all our best efforts to discuss them make... Uh, it still does it's they're still in a very difficult position uh, so eu4 2019 or eu5 2019 <laughs> i think is <laughs> yeah well that even loops back to our previous discussions about how institutions currently don't really work that well and the only real ways to fix that would be to make them part of the base game so they can integrate with other expansion mechanics which would burn the people who bought the institutions expansion or mm. you know start creating features where you know you bought this expansion to unlock institutions but to really use institutions for real you also have to own this this and this expansion which is a catch-22 i would not want to be in uh if i were having to design around that so i mean at, at a certain point i feel like they should say you know two years later the base game is whatever expansion yeah i think that would be a lot better for game development and they might have to deal with some angry fans for a bit but i think it would still make a better game overall in the future um yeah i 100 you know, percent agree yeah uh you know, we, we don't have uh, uh, Troy on this show because we can't uh, <laughs> tell us why that that won't work. But maybe that's a maybe when we go to PDXCon, we should uh, <laughs> get, any, get some of these answers pinned down. Any last thoughts about where EU4 has come in the last year? The uh, the one thing that we didn't mention because it didn't really fit anywhere but just from a quality of life thing i i gotta bring up the diplomatic macro yeah oh my god that was such just just i just want to take a second to just to love that thing just yeah just being able to set your diplomats to go make everyone like me Like God, that's just, that's amazing. That may be my favorite fix, fix or addition or whatever, just expansion element for the whole year. And it's it. I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but man, I used the hell out of that, and oh, so good. Uh, someone someone posted a screenshot of uh, a next patch thing, quality of life thing, where they are making it so that you can look at all manufacturers. Uh, and how much money they yeah, will I earn you? Yes. Like they, they've been doing a lot of good little things like that, and at some at some level, you know, you kind of want to say that I wish they had done this three years ago. But at another level, you know, I'm glad they're doing that, and they should continue to keep taking the things that are busy work and making them less busy. Yep. You know, considering how much more sort of quantity and sort of you know, complexity this game has. And it kind of starts started with a UI that was good. Like it was a huge advance over anything Paradox had really done before. Um, but like just the improvements and the steady kind of pace that they've managed to keep in making the game accessible through the systems that they built, even as they're layering on, you know, you know, complexity on top of complexity on top of complexity without us, you know, seven or eight or however many expansions in going, well, you start the game and you're, you're in paralysis mode because you can't find anything. Like it's the other way around. It's almost easier to use than it was when it first started, and it's a much more complex game. So I mean, yeah, kudos to them for keeping the eye on the ball on that, you know, sort of need and and making that a continued focus. Except for estates. 
<laughs> I mean, for like that's just an asterisk on every statement for yeah. me. Like, just yeah. always put that at the end of it. Assume that's there. Like, I mean, I, I I like a lot of the ideas with the estate. This is not like me saying paradox totally screwed up everything. But right now, there's a lot of busy work, and there has been since it came out, um, both in terms of keeping the estates happy and in keep in, give, keeping them with enough geographical region. All of the expansions they've done since them have done a much better job of taking things that are you know historically and gameplay interesting and integrating them. Um, so I hope that they can take a look at estates with a fresh eye and get those things patched into a way that uh fits kind of where they've come and that's that's sort of like where why i think that 2017 for eu4 was quite good even if it wasn't like astonishingly game-changing um because there isn't an astonishingly game-changing thing that you can really do with this that i can tell you know the game is the simulation of a few hundred years specifically of human history and uh, they can continue adding aspects that are not terribly intrusive and can do interesting things either in general or in specific regions as long as they want like that's that's fine by me i don't have the need for an eu5 yet but if they were to come out with one that would fix a few of the sort of general complaints that we have that would be great too uh i i think it, it's still 2017 showed that it was still on a viable path in a way that you know a crusader kings is maybe not anymore yeah all right well on that note i think we have another another fine year of eu4 behind us uh looking forward to whatever's coming with the next i think they specifically said it was going to be another immersion pack like third row I not so. not a major yeah. expansion um something with the low countries something involving ireland we'll see um, three moves ahead is produced by the righteous pineapple champion Michael Hermes and is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. If you would like to support this fine, homegrown, dare I say artisanal strategy <laughs> podcast, you can head on over to patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, we'll be back next week when the grown-ups get back and kick me out of the captain's chair. Thanks for listening. For Rowan Kaiser and Sean Sands, I am TJ Hafer. Good night, and may the gods have mercy on your souls.